and welcome to Man Woman Movie, Episode 6. I'm Erin Hulls. And I'm Jason Hulls. This is a podcast where we take turns picking movies. And no matter what that movie is, we both watch it and review it. We try to bring our own different perspectives to, to the review. Sure. And this is our sixth episode, which means it's my pick. Oh, God. We just got over watching Step Up. Step Up. Um, which was, well, just listen to the episode. It was a masterpiece. <laughs> so, okay, I have not seen this pick. We are watching 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh! This was the movie I was going to pick for episode two originally. And then instead I chose Cobra. Because you chose from Justin to Kelly. (laughs) (laughs) So you had to get in your revenge pick first. Yeah. So I'm trying to wipe the slate clean here uh, from step up and uh, go with something that I think we both might like. So this is the one with John Goodman, right? Yes, it is. And I don't know much about it. Somehow I've managed to completely avoid spoilers for it. I know, obviously, it's a follow-up of some kind. It's in the Cloverfield universe, which I, I thought the original... I thought Cloverfield was interesting. I, I didn't really dig the handheld footage thing too much. Like, I would have preferred if it had just been a film, you know, just narrative film without the shtick of having it be handheld. And this one is like that. This is just a narrative film shot cinematically without the handheld shaky camera thing. Now, you know, I never saw the original Cloverfield. Oh. Do you think that's going to affect I don't me watching so. this one? I don't think so. I, I got the impression that this movie is very standalone. So I think you should be okay. I wonder why they grouped them together if they're so different. I don't know. I think my guess is just because it sort of happens in the same universe. The synopsis for 10 Cloverfield Lane is, after getting in a car accident, a woman is held in a shelter with two men who claim the outside world is affected by a widespread chemical attack. Oh. So, yeah, I saw the trailers. I thought it looked cool. Uh, I was interested in seeing it in the theater. I just didn't. Didn't get around to it. That happens. But I'm excited to see what this is all about. Me too. Shall we go check it out? I don't see why not. Let's go. There's a woman. Welcome back. I thought it was great. I thought it was really good. So let's talk about what happened. Well, it starts with Michelle in the beginning. You know, you can tell she's really anxious. She's packing her bag. She's packing her suitcase. And she leaves her house or apartment with a set of keys and what looks like an engagement ring. Yeah, she leaves the engagement ring. And the one thing I liked about the opening is that they establish the situation without any dialogue. The beginning of the film really moves quickly. She's in her car. She drives out of the city into a more rural area. She gets a call from Ben, her boyfriend, fiancé. Fiancé. Sure. And uh, that's the first we hear of anyone. That's the first time we hear anyone speak in the movie. Fun fact... It's Bradley Cooper's voice. Is it really? It is, yes. I didn't know that. So Bradley Cooper plays the voice of Ben, 
on the phone, begging Michelle to call. And she doesn't even really have a chance to because she gets into a car accident. A pretty graphic one, too. Yeah, and again, this whole situation happens very, very quickly. The pacing is very fast in the beginning. And you're thrown into an intense situation very quickly because Michelle wakes up with an IV in a concrete room and she has no idea where she is or how she got there. Almost very Saw-like, where she wakes up chained to uh, the wall. Leg brace on. Concrete wall, looks very dark and very dungeony. Mm-hmm. As she's trying to figure out how to escape, she uses the IV hook, or like the, the, the pole the that pole, the IV yeah. is hanging on, to hook her phone, and she scoots her phone over to her from across the room. No signal. And about that time, John Goodman appears. Or shall we call him Howard? Oh yeah, Howard. So he comes in, and she's really upset, she doesn't know who he is, and she's begging him to let her go. She assumes it's a basic abduction mm-hmm. situation. Right. And she says, they're going to be looking for me. And his reply is, no one is looking for you. I'm sorry, but no one's looking for you. And then he leaves. Which is a really ominous way to introduce yourself. <laughs> right. A little more explanation, I'm sure, would have been appreciated. Yeah. Um, it doesn't come until later. And, and Howard, you know, one thing they make you wonder is, does he have good intentions here? And certainly in the beginning, it seems like he does not. He is very sketchy. And they make him seem very crazy. Michelle's next plan is to make a spear out of the crutches that Howard gives her. That's right. She takes the little rubber part off the bottom Mm -hmm. and starts fashioning a weapon out of... what, What was the thing that he gave her? It was oh, the key to the right. it was the key to the cuffs that were chaining her to the wall. Okay, so she used the key to to sharpen the the bottom of the crutch. Yep. Okay. Which was a, a good a great plan. Hey. And she actually gets him with it. Um, she starts a fire in the air ducts, which causes Howard to come running and open the big door that she's locked behind. And when he comes in, she stabs him, and he takes it and is yet able to inject her with some kind of thing that knocks her out again. So she wakes up again, and that's when he explains a little bit more about what's going on. Right. There's been an attack. You're safe in here. Everybody outside is dead. I saved your life. And he goes through a couple different possibilities of what's happening outside, um, he starts talking about like possible nuclear warfare or chemical warfare, and then he says, "Oh, it could it could be the Martians." And so, like, there's a fairly like just credible line of thinking coming from him initially, where he's talking about something that happened to the entire area and they're safe, and then he drops the Martian bit, and I think <laughs> that's to to just reinforce the question of like, is this guy crazy? Is he not? Like, is he? Right. On to something. But they give you little snippets of maybe he's not so crazy. Because do you remember when she was in the car before the accident and she's flipping through the radio and it's and, and the radio talks about blackouts and oh. yeah, and, and the military is trying to figure out something about these blackouts. And then, you know, pretty soon right after that she gets hit. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So she was driving right about the time whatever happened, the attack, 
happened. So after she wakes up and and they have their heart-to-heart, Howard shows her the rest of the bunker. And you meet Emmett. Emmett is a construction worker, basically, who helped build the bunker. And when this strange event occurred, he knew to go to the bunker. Um, They have... VHS cassette films and a jukebox and all of these things that he's went to great lengths to make this bunker sort of a little home, you know, and he's definitely got that prepper mentality. He's thought of everything. Right. The air is filtered. The They have running water. They've got everything they could need. And he's not willing to put a timeline on how long they're going to be down there. And he doesn't like to talk about it. He's... Clearly, a one of the prepper sorts of, of people, you know. Like a doomsday prepper. Yeah, like he thought something was going to happen. I don't think he specifically was planning for this. So what do you think about the prepper culture? I mean, is it something that, I mean, do you think they're crazy? Or, you know, do you think they're on to something? What do you think about it? You know, I think I, I'm going to think that they're crazy until I'm one of those people that are banging at the door and trying to claw my way in <laughs> when there is a zombie apocalypse or when there is a plague or when there is something that that we need to hide from. I think there's some value in the mindset of being just ready and capable. I think with anything, you can take it too far, I guess, and I'm sure any prepper listening would totally disagree with that. But, I mean, at least for me and, and my thinking on the subject right now, it, it seems like there is value in knowing how to take care of yourself and recognizing and being mindful of your surroundings. But I'm not ready to build a bunker just yet. Right, exactly. Yeah, because the people that do this and the preppers are absolutely convinced that something is going to happen. I think most of the time people believe that it's going to be some kind of economic collapse that's going to lead to some sort of chaos to okay. where there's there, it's the breakdown of law and order in the, in America. Okay. And so I think that's probably mostly where they're coming from. Like the Y2K thing? Well, not necessarily like the Y2K bug because that just well, actually yeah, it could be. Yeah. I mean, it could be started, you know, chaos could originate with some kind of thing like that but i think just generally the breakdown of civilization is what they're concerned about so i don't know who knows maybe they're right maybe we will be the ones trying to fight with people in the grocery store over the last loaf of bread yep who knows and they're gonna be fine yep yep so i guess time will tell but i'm hoping we never live in a world where we need a bunker i'm gonna doubt it i think it would be awesome (laughs) to have a bunker i would i want one no there's a company out there right now that will build shelters that you can bury and they build them out of old train cars really yeah um how do you know this jay um how do you know this are we getting a bunker we're getting a bunker aren't we well there's already one in our backyard god bless it I didn't want to say anything, but yeah. What are you prepping for? Zombies. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you are. (laughs) Obviously, Michelle in the beginning thinks he's nuts. And this is a situation where... um, A crazy man has stolen her. Right, has stolen her. And she's talking with Emmett about it. And... Emmett says, oh, no, there really is something. Right. I, I saw it. 
Yes. And that's where you kind of start to think maybe Howard isn't so bad. Yeah. Maybe he really is a hero and he really did rescue her because Emmett is saying, no, there is something out there. Mm-hmm. And she says, did he take you? Did he did he kidnap you? And he said, no, I... I fought to get in. I fought to get in. Yeah. So he saw um, red flashes of light. Yes. Over cities, like in the distance, as if something far away, was, you know, there was something big happening far away. Yes. So he, he's definitely a believer. So they, they do a really good job of making you wonder whether or not something really is happening. Yeah. Now, because it's a Cloverfield film, you're pretty sure something's up, but... <laughs> Nevertheless, they do a good job right. at making you kind of wonder about what it is that's that's actually going on. Right. And and after they kind of establish maybe or they set the stage that maybe he's an okay guy and maybe he's just misunderstood, they kind of go into this little montage of them becoming this happy family and, you know, playing puzzles and making sandwiches mm-hmm. and just kind of enjoying being around each other they settle into like a new normal yes and well actually and before that howard wants to introduce michelle to frank and mildred because she's asking a lot of questions and he says i think it's time for you to meet frank and mildred and he takes her up to the hatch to get out of the place and lets her look out the window and there are two dead pigs that are all sort of messed up looking while he's walking her up to see frank and mildred She's watching him unlock the the locks um, to get through to to every to get through to the next steps to to see the pigs, and so she knows that he has these keys, and she knows what they do and where it can lead her. So you know, she's eyeing those keys. Yeah. There's also the truck. Yes, and that's when she notices. She notices the damage on the truck. Yeah. And he actually confesses quickly that Howard is the one who ran her off the road. Right. And wrecked into her. And he says it's because he knew something was starting to happen and he panicked and he wasn't himself, his usual Mm. nice, charming self. And he's the one who ran her off the road. He felt bad. He scooped her up and brought her to the bunker and saved her life. And I thought I was so clever. I thought I predicted the ending. I thought, no, 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 he was the one who hit her. I, I know it. And it, it came out, you know, 10 minutes later. Yeah, they, so. they get to it really fast. I thought that was funny too. They get to it really fast. Michelle wants to escape for quite a while. She's still got this in mind. So later they're having dinner and they're sitting around talking about, well, Michelle and Emmett are talking about how long they might be down there. And Howard flips. Like, he just flips out for a second and doesn't want to talk about that. And he corners Michelle against the wall Mm -hmm. and starts talking about how she isn't grateful for the things that he's done for her. And she manages to get the keys off of his belt. Right. So they, she plays it cool. They sit back down. And as soon as she gets an opportunity, she grabs a bottle, smashes it over his head. Yes. And runs. Just takes off. She runs up to the hatch. She slams this interior door, so Howard's stuck behind it. She's working on the exterior locks, 
and she sees a car outside. She sees headlights. And all of a sudden, and this is a part I thought was awesome in the movie, this woman slams against the glass on the outside of the hatch. Her face is all disgusting looking. She's screaming to be let in. Right. And Michelle stops and she's looking back at Howard who's yelling, don't help, you can't help her. Right. Don't let her in. You'll kill all of us. Right. And then she sees this woman begging and she's forced to do nothing. She, yep. she doesn't let her in and goes back down into the bunker. Yes. That's when she realizes she probably is safer in the bunker. Yeah. So Howard starts talking about this Megan and how Megan loves her magazines and how Megan loved France and the French. And he doesn't really say who she is. And finally, Michelle says, is that your daughter? And he says, yes. His ex-wife turned Megan against him. Right. And they both moved to Chicago. And right. he doesn't get to see her anymore. All of a sudden, an alarm goes off. Something is wrong with the air filter. Michelle is crawling through the ducts to find the air filtration system. And she ends up in this little room. She, you know, cranks the handle, gets the air working again. But she notices there's a second hatch. And she climbs up the ladder. And written on the glass is the word help. So she's going back down the ladder, and she steps on something. Mm-hmm. Next scene, she shows that something to Emmett, and it's a pair of earrings. The earrings are the same ones worn by the young girl that Howard says is his daughter, Megan. Emmett goes, that's not his daughter. I know her. She went to school with my little brother. So that shows that Howard is lying about who this young girl is. And Emmett says this young girl went missing and was never found. Right. So right there, there's confirmation that Howard had abducted this young girl. In another one of the photos, she's wearing a shirt that with the Eiffel Tower on it. And mm-hmm. it's the exact same shirt that Michelle is wearing at that moment. But then they never finish. Right. You never really find out what happened. Right. I, I think... You just, it leaves you to put the clues together. I mean, yeah. more or less, you're, you're led to believe Howard abducted her, kept her in this bunker for who knows how long, because she tried to escape by scratching help on the window. Right. And then we don't know what happened to her. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there isn't really any resolution to what happened to this missing girl, Megan. Then they decide, we got to do something. Yes. We, we got to get out of here. So... Michelle comes to Emmett and pretty much says, I can make a a hazmat suit out of this shower curtain, out of their little duck shower curtain. (laughs) Yeah, and a two-liter bottle. And Right, in a two-liter bottle and some duct tape. Yep. So they MacGyver together this hazmat suit. And they have to do it kind of in off times when Howard's not looking. Right. Anytime he comes too near, they have to hide everything really quickly. Right. Because they come up with, we're going to make one hazmat suit and one of us is going to wear it and go get help. Yep. And they're going to tie Howard up and hopefully get him to admit what he did. Right. Yeah, that's the plan. And things are going fairly well at first you see the hazmat suit coming together right you see it built and then howard catches on and he calls them both into his room and he has a big blue barrel and you know nothing 
good comes in big blue barrels. <laughs> he pops it open and explains that it's acid and it dissolves biological material on contact. And he starts questioning them about their use of the supplies right. in the bunker. They've been using too many things, like stuff's kind of missing and out of place. Howard, just calm down. One chance! To answer with some dignity, or I swear to God, you're going into this barrel while you're alive to feel it. It was me. Emmett jumps on the grenade and says he was going to build a weapon to get Howard's gun because he wanted Michelle to respect him. Right. And he apologizes for it. Howard accepts the apology. I accept your apology. And then shoots him in the head. Yes. I did not see that coming. That was abrupt. Michelle crumples. Howard tries to console her and says, you know, this is always how it should have been. Just the two of us. And she's in her room, and when he comes to get her, he's trying to be nice, and now he's all cleaned up and clean-shaven and wants to bribe her, I guess, with ice cream. She hears him starting to come in, and she's working on the hazmat suit. So she's trying to hurry up and put everything away, and she doesn't know what to do with the mask, the two-liter mask. And so he comes in the room. You're not quite sure what she does with it. And then she looks up at the vent, and you just know that the mask is up in the vent. So she's kind of nervous. He says, all right get ready, we're going to have dinner, starts to walk out, you think everything's going to be okay, and then a screw falls out of the vent and falls on the floor. So he sees it, he looks up, and he says, why is this here? Why is this loose? What's going on? So he pulls the vent, pulls down the vent, and starts reaching up there. He doesn't get the mask, right? No, because the mask is too far back. Right, but he turns around and he sees tucked under her mattress... A little piece of the hazmat suit. Yes. So that's when she pretty much just has to make a run for it. Yes. And so she runs around the bunker and he's chasing her and she's trying to lock him in and and like into a room and she's trying to knock over barrels to get away. He corners her in his room and she sees, by the way, Emmett dissolving in some acid. Yes. And she kicks the barrel of acid over and he slips right into the acid. Like face first. Right into the acid. And starts burning and she parkours her way over and around and (laughs) gets her hazmat suit and her mask and she has to escape through the vents back to the same little chamber that she discovered with the second hatch. Yes. Howard starts stabbing his knife up through the vents as she's crawling through them. And they're showing him, like, slowly dissolving with the acid on his skin. His face is all burned. And she actually gets out. Mm -hmm. She's running around, and it's quiet. Um, She's running to a truck. She immediately cuts her suit, (laughs) and she has to duct tape it back up. And as she's, you know, getting done with that, she notices that there's birds flying over. And they're fine. Everything's (laughs) fine. So... She takes her mask off, and lo and behold, she can breathe. So you think the movie's over there. You think she's escaped. The air is fine. The world is good now. And, and that's when things get really weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she thinks everything is fine, and she crawls up on top of Howard's truck to get a better look around over like the cornfields and stuff. And she sees this big, weird alien thing 
yeah. flying over the corn, and she's just kind of staring at it. And she runs over to a car that belonged to the woman who was bashing her way into the bunker earlier. She sets off the car alarm. Mm-hmm. She hears something coming, and she runs into a little shed. Shed, yeah, and and tr- to hide. And there's a body of the, the woman, and she sees something creep out and start banging around on the back of the car, like lifting the back of the car. Um, she gets little glimpses of it. Clearly nothing human or animal that she would recognize. So she's afraid. So she's freaking out, and she sees this thing, so she starts patting down the dead woman, trying to find her keys. And as she's reaching in her pockets and, and, and looking for them, this alien animal, whatever it is, is trying to get in to the shed. She finally finds the keys. She runs towards the house and starts yelling, I'm outside, I'm outside. Please let me in, help. Right. And you see this big flying creature sort of crest the top of the house. She runs back to Howard's truck, gets in, and this creature starts picking up the truck to yes. eat it, I, I guess. <laughs> it's It like comes over the farmhouse, like spraying this green gas everywhere. It's going to look like it's going to devour it. And she sees a bottle of booze that she had actually brought with her. Yes. From the very first scene when she left her fiance's place, she brought this bottle of booze. So she takes that bottle, makes a Molotov cocktail out of it as the creature's lifting her up into the air, into the truck, and lobs this thing into the creature's mouth. Mm-hmm. Immediately drops the truck, and the creature sort of just crashes and burns in a field. Yes. She finally gets into the woman's car starts it up, takes off driving. As she's driving down the highway, she starts tuning in different radio stations that are talking a little bit about the southern seaboard and how humans are working to take it back. And there's a call out for anybody who has combat experience or nursing experience or any sort of anything that can help to go to Houston. Yes. And she sees... Coincidentally, right at that moment. (laughs) She sees the crossroad and decides... She's going to drive to Houston. And as she's driving in that direction, there's a lightning storm. And in the lightning storm, you can see there's another flying creature over the fields. So is that another sequel? Who knows? Because when that happened, when that scene happened, and then the credits came up, you're wondering, okay, was that a happy ending? That she got away? Or were you led to believe that that was just the start of the next... It definitely felt like it could continue. It, it sort of felt like The Mist with a happier ending. Oh, God. Everything is a happier ending than The Mist. That's <laughs> true. So, I, overall, I thought the movie was was great. I like the scope. There's only four people in the entire movie. You are right. So, I, I appreciate movies that can be that are that effective. A, I mean, it's got a pretty big feel in terms of the scope. Yeah. But at the same time, it's also a very small story. I mean, the effects were there to support the story. They weren't there as a showpiece. So, one thing they talk about at the dinner table is regret. So, if we were stuck in this house... Oh, boy. We knew that the monsters were outside. What is one thing that you would have liked to have done that you have not yet done? Wow. This is getting heavy. Uh Uh-huh. 
I definitely think that I haven't traveled as much as I would have wanted. I agree. I think that's my answer as well. I think a lot of people would say that. Yeah, yeah. To see more of the world. Yeah, I think a lot of people would say that. So it's probably good that we're not stuck in a house with monsters outside. That is true. we got to book a trip now. I was going to (laughs) say. Fun facts. The cast members weren't told the title of the movie during production. So I don't think they realized they were making a movie that was in the Cloverfield universe. What was there? Was there a, a reason for that? I don't know. Probably just some kind of secrecy. Um, I know like J.J. Abrams always likes secrecy surrounding his movies. And the film originally began as a script called The Cellar. It had nothing to do with the Cloverfield universe. Oh, that's interesting. But then J.J. Abrams his production company bought it and they sort of adapted the script into something. Because, I don't know, we haven't talked about this yet. This movie has nothing to do with the first one. Right. Absolutely nothing to do with it. Like, it's its own thing completely. Like, the monster in the first one has nothing to do with the monsters in this one. Um, But I did read that they're interested in possibly doing more movies in the future that might tie them together. I would be all for that. I think that would be really cool yeah it would definitely make money was this successful what was the score on rotten tomatoes 90 wow that's pretty high do you agree with that yeah i i mean i don't know about 90 but i mean i I would rank it up there pretty high i would give it an a so i mean because i would give it an a i would say 90 yeah i definitely recommend that people see it even though to thanks to this podcast you pretty much have a complete spoiler (laughs) Sorry. Um, <laughs> let's let's take an, a little bit of an alternate hmm. look at this movie. I think the performances in this movie were great. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, you, you, nowadays you've got Ghostbusters where they, they swap the genders of the Ghostbusters. <laughs> so I want to know, what if we did this with 10 Cloverfield Lane? <laughs> okay. So I'm going to list off a new cast. Mm, this will be interesting. And I want you to tell me if this would make the movie more or less watchable. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. So, in the role of Michelle, we have McLovin. <laughs> Super bad. Yes. The kid who plays McLovin. Okay. All right. And the um, captor, Howard, will now be played by fellow Roseanne alum, Roseanne Barr. <laughs> Roseanne traps McLovin oh my God. in a bunker for an alien invasion. Is that movie more or less watchable than what we saw? More. More? I think more. <laughs> because it's so weird. Because like. I, yeah, I think Roseanne would be meaner. <laughs> yeah, I think you're and right. And McLovin would just be like the... <laughs> McLovin would be a slave. <laughs> like he would McLovin just, be there would just to, take it. Yes, he would just be there to do dishes, and he would never try to escape. He would just be a doormat for Roseanne. So it would be up to whoever the third person would be at that point. Now, it would be would the it, good Emmett. You know what? Let's let's stick with the theme. <laughs> uh oh. Annoying Becky number one, not not hot second Becky. <laughs> I want annoying, less attractive Becky. <laughs> so, as Emmett. Becky number one, Roseanne, and McLovin. 
are trapped in the bunker. <laughs> okay, now now is the the situation out in the real world the exactly same? the same? It's Ex- the same. Exactly same. The same movie, just different people in the roles. Okay. So <laughs> Roseanne puts Becky into a big tub of acid. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm kind of surprised she didn't do on Roseanne. That's 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 true. I can see that. So okay, well, yeah, I think I think that movie would be perfectly watchable. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost have no comment. <laughs> I'm glad we both agreed that this was a successful pick. Yeah, this is a really good pick. So is that going to influence maybe what you pick next time, or are we no. just it's random? Just it's going to be whatever. <laughs> Oh, no, I know what movie I'm picking. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Any hints? The movie that we just watched came out about four months ago. The movie that I'm picking came out in 1989. (laughs) Well, then, if you like man-woman movie, you like our podcast, do us a favor and just, you know, give us a high rating on whatever service you happen to be using to find this podcast. We want to know that you're enjoying it. We want to know that you're entertained. We definitely do. And it does help us. Mm -hmm. So please give us a good review. Tell a friend. Tell a neighbor. Come back next time. See what Aaron makes me watch. But for now, I'm Jason Hulls. And I'm Aaron Hulls. And we will see you next time on... Man, Woman, Movie.